My mother tells me that by five years old, I had decided definitely to become a concert pianist. I think she had decided sometime earlier. The story goes that while I was in the womb, she played the piano continuously to give me a head start. And evidently, it paid off. My mother was my first teacher, and I've never doubted her methods. After all, she introduced me to Bach. Recognize this quotes movie? Stay tuned to find out, or check out the title of this episode of Talking Pictures Trivia. Welcome to Talking Pictures Trivia, the podcast in which a group of geographically challenged friends explore movies through trivia as an excuse to keep their friendships alive. I'm one of these friends, and today's host, Nick, and with me is... Tom and KJ. Additionally, joining us as a guest this week is... Ryan. Thanks for joining us. Ryan works in the film industry, helping to release independent films. Ryan has joined us for Time Crimes, Memories of Matsuko, and World on a Wire. Ryan still conveniently likes movies. For those joining us for the first time, we start off each episode with a movie quiz as these pivotal questions will determine who earns today's trivia crown. In round one, each question is worth one point, and in round two, each question is worth two points, although it is a Tom episode, so I cannot guarantee that. Then, once the fierce competition is over, we follow it up with our famous movie rant where anything goes. Tom, tell us about today's movie. Today, we are going back to 1993. Another movie we've covered on this show is The Fugitive, also from 1993. While not directly competing with The Fugitive, Francois Girard's movie, 32 short films about Glenn Gould, was released in a few film festivals and had a limited theater release in the USA. So... Uh, 32 short films about Glenn Gould is the most direct film we've done in terms of its title to its content. It is, in fact, 32 short films about the Canadian pianist Glenn Gould. And each one takes on a, I wouldn't say a little aspect of his life. They take on little characteristics, little modes, little tones, sometimes bits of plot, but it's rather different from a conventional biofilm. It has a more pointillist image that it's it's tending towards. Nick, if you had one word to describe 32 short films about Glenn Gould, what would it be? Why, Ryan? Contrapuntal. KJ? Staccato. And my word would be polyphonic. It's time for question one. So the first question is nice and easy. I thought you poor, you poor people, uh, except Ryan who has a soul, but that's, you know, <laughs> we share that in common, I suppose. Um, describe the frame of the film. Like the aspect ratio? No, 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 the frame, how the movie is framed in terms of beginning end. In what short film was that discussed, the frame? Well, it's it's the thing itself, right? It's the short films themselves. Locked in. Locked in. Are you KJ? Are you really? Yeah, I think I know the frame. <laughs> All right. If you guys don't know this one, it's going to be a long episode. <laughs> <laughs> I'm locked I, in. 
Oh, okay. I thought this or was maybe going... it'll be a short episode. <laughs> I thought this is going to be the beach ball that was pitched for the first pitch. Um, but we'll start it off. Nick, what do you have? I kind of locked in prematurely there. <laughs> okay. The, uh, the frame is his life. <laughs> Do you need a definition of frame? It's like it's what it's what, no at the beginning what you're talking the about. It's at with something in a in a book, movie, what have you, that's at the beginning and at the end that's repeated. Oh yeah, yeah. Okay. That's easy. He's mm -hmm. like in the Arctic tundra or something, walking in a cold area. It starts in the beginning that way and ends that way. Okay. KJ, what do you have? Yeah, so technically this is one sixteenth of a movie, right? So it, it, I have, uh, it's framed by <laughs> bleak and tundrous shots. Okay, and Ryan, what do you have? Now I'm sorry that I made fun of you guys because I'm the one that's gonna get it wrong. <laughs> <laughs> oh. I was gonna say the framing is the, the a, like a riff on the third, the, his Goldberg variations. And so the 32 short films connecting to his performance of the 32 Goldberg variations. So that's the frame. All right. Oh. Here's the thing. Ryan is actually the most right and wrong. So the in the beginning, yes, we hear the aria for the from the Goldbergs, right? From the, the like the 56 recording, I think it is. Um, but the last shot doesn't actually return to it. I think the last shot is a Beethoven sonata. Oh, it's it's from the art of the fugue. So it's uh it's is Bach again. again. Yeah, it's from the art. It's in the, you know what? I'm going to give everybody points because Ryan got the music and that was, you know, kind of part. I of got it. confused when they were going with the aspect ratio. That's what really threw me off. I know off. maybe we would have won if it was the aspect like, ratio. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what the aspect the ratio is. Personally. No, no, but I'm saying like, I, I, I actually thought it was more complicated than where did it start and where did it end? Oh, no, no. I, I wanted to make it simple because you seem to hate it so much. So I just wanted to want to reduce it. But I'm going to give. But because Ryan identified the, the music at the beginning of the of, of the movie, then yes, I, I'm going to give points. All I right. think that's fair. KJ. <laughs> so, so not to harp on this. What was the answer, Tom? It was that. It was him walking towards the camera, walking oh, away. Oh, oh I thought it was Aria 1 and Bach 5 or whatever you had said. For it's that. also that. Yeah, it's the Aria <laughs> from the Goldberg Variations. And it's it's a, um, it's a from the Art of the Fugue by, by Bach. but um, Or from that book, anyway. Yeah, but there we go. So, good start. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, and I Let everyone know that we actually somehow all got a point there. You all got points. <laughs> Part of it was pity both for you and it. for myself. For <laughs> um, belaboring this any longer than it needed to. Yeah, exactly. But I brought this forward to talk about the, the structure of this, which is obviously in the title. It, it is in the title, but it's also the most remarkable thing about this movie. What makes it stand out from other biopics. I was wondering how that structure, how you found it, um, how you think it's referencing other things, how it's kind of bringing in kind of intertextual context, et cetera. It was choppy, Tom, right? It was choppy. And audience, when we, when we watch these movies for the show, it's a little different than just sitting and enjoying the movie because you know trivia is coming. And that made it a little stressful because it, I, I don't know if you guys can see my show notes here, but I wrote down a little synopsis of each of the short 
films because I, I was, you know, what am I going to remember? I was going to thank you for that. <laughs> yeah, that's so. Um, I think in this context, it was uh, it was a little stressful, Tom. It was a little, it was a little much. I was trying to figure out what Tom could even ask, and Me that's too. why I think I yeah. thought too deep on the first question. <laughs> I just sort of realized that I wasn't going to win this one. So I was just going to relax and go for the ride. <laughs> we all had that feeling, it seems like, but we'll see what happens. I, I think my, my thoughts when I was watching this film, I was trying to say like, oh, I enjoyed that short. I don't get that short. I said that a lot, by the way, but there were elements that I enjoyed. And I don't want to go into it in case they are any of the questions to come because those ones I might actually get right. It's interesting yeah, you guys all thought about so them as, as actually short films. Like I kind of sort of took that as a gimmick, but it was more just like scenes from a life and, you know, fade in, fade out. Um, and they did have different, but it wasn't, I actually wondered when I first went into it, if each one was going to be directed by a different director. And so I'm like, and they're all the same actors. So I really, you know, that choppiness was not as much as it could have been that, you know, how much they could have gone with that theme even deeper. But, um, but yeah, I thought, you know, like it was, it was sort of interesting, like thinking about um, the little that Eli was able to feed me about the differences between Baroque music and romantic music and how the different themes work. And, and so the movie just doing its best to kind of, you know, I think, I feel like it could have even been a more gone even deeper in terms of experimentalness as far as that went. So you guys were spared. This was, this was completely watchable. What are you talking about? But it seems the ones who enjoy it are the one who understand this background information or appreciation for this art form. So I just, I know I was, I was missing something. I didn't think it was bad. I just knew I was missing something because I'm not of the world that would enjoy this. But even as just like a film, I thought like, you know, I just keep thinking about all the generic biopics that, you know, it's like, oh, I just watched the Aretha Franklin one. And you're like, ah, <laughs> teeing up the themes. I'm hearing, I'm seeing a father, I'm seeing, you know. Um, and so this one just like throwing you into it in different places, just relieved you of those cliches. And, and so even just as a film, knowing that's nothing about the music, I was just like, oh, this is so nice. It's just like the random things that this filmmaker found interesting about him. Yeah, and I, I guess you're right, Ryan. There was kind of a few threads, right? It wasn't 32 different directors with different styles. There was the actual biopic where we're kind of going through different parts of his life. There's the cut to interview the people that knew him and were telling little stories. There was shots of the piano. There was very mechanical type shots, which I'll also include um, animation of um, music vibrations. Yeah, it's a McLaren. It's from a se separate film, but it's the screenwriter's earlier movie. It's a short film from that. Okay. So, so yeah. So in that case, it wasn't 32 separate short films. It was almost more of a weaving together of these, um, of, of these different threads. However, now that I'm thinking about it, um, I think it would have been tough to watch a straight biopic of Glenn Gould knowing what we now know about it like or it just like, would have been heavy-handed you would have been like ah mental illness or eccentric yeah, yeah. Let me, like, how deep can we go? <laughs> i've never like, seen exactly. that one before like oh yeah. that, was that pharmaceuticals that he's taking like oh did you just drop them on the floor oh, no and, you know, i'm like, so <laughs> dreading yeah. if that's a question i am so dreading oh if, <laughs> i don't know the names of all the drugs so if that if that's a if don't let it go if that's i was okay it. i was um, cooking and my wife came into the room and she's like what are you watching <laughs> yeah i'm like i bet spotting. you tom's gonna ask me how many of these drugs he took okay yeah i don't i don't know but um 
I, I would say I completely agree with Ryan. I think putting the 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 musical metaphor aside, I think you're 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 right, Ryan. What the 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 short films do is kind of um, the short film structure. It avoids the the cliches. It's that kind of way of avoiding the cliches. What's interesting, it also avoids the major moments in his life. Right? We do we see we don't see the final concert, right? We hear him talking about it. We don't see um, him composing the music for Slaughterhouse-Five, the film, which he, he wrote a portion of the music for. We actually don't see him recording his most famous recordings. I mean, the Goldbergs are some of his most, are probably his two most famous recording sets. We, we don't see that at all, um, you know? So the the films by kind of breaking up that the the temptation to do like a like the beautiful mind a beautiful mind or something like that which I, I, I absolutely hate that movie um, the, the short films not only uh, prevent that kind of cliche it's even more subversive it takes away that traditional biopic fodder and and going to to KJ's point where KJ I think you noticed you know the uh, there are these kind of repeated things that are, are going on there, both in style, um, but also in theme. There's a lot of kind of themes that stay within a few sh short films and then are sort of dropped and moved on to something else. So you could think of, um, you know, him kind of alone or alienated. And then we move on to, there's a, a two or three films that are more about, uh, exploring the, the sort of uh, the, the polyphony, the, the kind of contrapuntal voices, how that kind of has bled into his life. Um, and so I think the structure, I don't think you need to really have like studied the, the Trinitarian design of the Goldberg variations to, to, to kind of get the value that this structure is offering. It's time for Question two. Where was the last concert? Locked in. Ah. Locked in? I'll lock in just because it's, I'm never going to know it. Just going to have to wing it. All right, Ryan. Wing away. For some reason, I'm just going to say Albany, New York. Okay. Fair enough. Uh, KJ, what do you have? So I, I don't know, but a lot of this movie, they talk about his time in Toronto, I think. Certainly Canada, but I'm going to go specific as to say Toronto. Um, and I'm going to guess I, they might have been talking about his last concert or maybe the most exciting, but I'm, I'm going to go with Toronto. Okay. Yeah, the question was, where was the last concert? Not, not any old concert. Um, Nick, what do you have? So he went on and on about the various hotels he stayed at and the different accommodations. I believe this is one of the stops. I'm hoping it was the last stop. The only thing making me think my answer is incorrect is the gentleman who he signs the autograph for did not have the accent of the place where I'm about to say, but I'm going to say Vienna. Okay, no points. Oh boy. <laughs> it, was, it was LA. Uh, okay. It was an American guy. <laughs> I thought it was like a. I thought it was like a mid-market American city, mm -hmm. like a second-tier city for some reason. Yeah. Poor yeah. Albany. Sorry, Albany. You so get Al Albany's third-tier. That's uh, it's it's right it's up there with LA. Indianapolis. LA is yeah. a big market. That's yeah, LA <laughs> is yeah stop here. Um, I guess he's from Toronto though. I knew that much. Yeah, he's from outside of Toronto. Ah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he is. That's where he he wanted to kind of 
retire to um, and ended. Um, so I brought this, this question forward uh, and I want to talk about something we kind of touched on it, but we're, we're bringing that motif into our next variation, which is what is this kind of, <laughs> I got a painful look. Okay, <laughs> uh, what does this biopic leave in? What does it leave out? What did you find interesting about its additions and its subtractions from let's say the conventional? You know, I'll just, I'll jump in because it, it's funny. The one thing I knew going into this, well, I had gone to see a chamber music performance actually just a, a couple weeks ago and the pianist hummed, oh, not hummed, she, it was her her expression the whole time. It was like when she got into a dark part of the song, like she she had a scowl on her face and then she got into a lighter part and she started smiling. It was as if she'd like never heard the music before and she was playing it in real time and she's like, oh, oh, look, there's going to be a bright spot. And so it was just so funny to me. And so when I came, um, I went with Eli and he's like, oh yeah, that's kind of a thing that like, you know, part of your performance is, you know, it's you and how much you bring to it. And he mentioned, he's like Glenn Gould hummed along to all his songs. So they, they the way that they kind of wove in just like the two or three facts I have to know about him before then which I just thought was kind of subtle you know like like it was like the journalist asking him the questions and it it wasn't it didn't feel like it like kicked me between the eyes with like this major part so I just thought that was nice that these these delicate things were dropped in and you either caught them or you didn't I had one of those moments in this film where he was talking about the people who are like crazy about piano music and he pretty much was like I don't like piano music. It just seemed like he only liked his, but did not, he's not one of those fanatics who love piano music. So I thought that was kind of fun. We may have had that in common. No, that's not right. I actually do respect people who have the mus musical talent. I just don't have it. Uh, yeah, I'm trying to, so. For those watching at home or listening at home, there's some serious beard stroking going on here. <laughs> well, cause it's an interesting question, Tom. Like, you know, what was missing from this movie as a biopic or what was there? And I feel like what was there was the, the small stuff. And maybe that's a better description of somebody is how they interact with um, when he, he like doesn't let the maid leave because he just got a, one of his records in the mail. And he's like, no, no, you have to listen to this right now because he wanted to connect with that person. He didn't just want to listen. Um, and uh, Nick, he brought up the autograph. So I think what they did include was the smaller interactions between him and uh, the people that he met and all the, the interviews of, the people that knew him they also kind of told small stories about things that he did not not the big grandiose stuff um so i i'm a, i'm i would say the the big stuff wasn't there but the small stuff was and maybe that's a better description of a person hmm. you you think that leaving in the small stuff or only zooming in on that better gets at a person i i think it might i think it might tell you more about who they were maybe not what they did but how they approach things and mm-hmm yeah, it's interesting. I found the the inclusion of the small stuff very often um, both interesting. Like, for example, his his reflections on the afterlife. Uh, you know, th this idea of like uh, it, it, that that's something he would be open to. He was that type of person, um, and and how he connected that to dreams. This this small little detail that brought out you know a, a kind of a wealth. Um, but it's also interesting how much those small details hide as well, right? We get nothing of the, the romantic. And there's clearly something romantic, right? At one point we hear a woman on the phone say, why haven't you called me again? You know, why don't you, why don't you call me? Um, and so th there's something, there's these kind of interactions that 
have happened in his life that are also at a distance. This man is is at a distance from us, even as we're kind of surrounded by this this kind of candelabra of these little details, these little bits of it. So it seems like it's both saying like, yeah, we are the the small details in our lives more than the grand moments. How much, how much did they know? Did, did, um, and, you know, I understand that he's kind of a recluse um, and you know, like, it seemed like he liked long conversations with people, but, you know, otherwise didn't reveal too much. So, I mean, how much is known about him as a person and his biography? I mean, was this film sort of reflecting that mystique? Yeah, it's he. There's some people who came out, and I think really one or two women. One woman I I know who came out and kind of was like, yeah, we we had an affair. So he wasn't uh, gay. No, she actually described him as. <laughs> I think her term was he was very heterosexual. So I don't, I don't know what that means, but uh, yeah, but so he did have an affair. It's in looking at he he also produced a lot of media. And a lot of, uh, we saw a little bit of that in, in this, but he, he was quite um, fond of doing that. And it seemed as if the kind of strangeness that that we see with him was somewhat cultivated. It was sort of, I, w- I wouldn't call it a gimmick, but it it was, we might say a somewhat marketing strategy. That's the impression I get. I think he was a lot more quote unquote normal um, but, uh, you know, then he does you know, wake up at four in the afternoon. Um, I mean, this is what happens when you, you know, become uh, very successful at age 12 and are able to retire by age 32, right? There's, <laughs> you're always going to be a little not, uh, not mainstream. Okay, here we are at the end of round one. And ladies and gentlemen, we have a three-way tie yet again at a point up person. Very good, very good, very good. We will be right back after these words from our sponsors to see who can take this down. Hello, and welcome back to B-Side. Finally, it is B-Side. Today we're going to be talking about close encounters of the third kind. We're going to be discussing the famous W.F. Murnau film from 1927, Sunrise. The Icelandic movie from 2015, Rams. Juzo Itami's 1985 picture, Tam Popo. And today I'm going to be talking about a good old film that we just covered, and this is 1984's Ghostbusters. Talking Pictures Trivia B-Side, wherever you listen to Talking Pictures Trivia. And we're back. We're at the critical point of our episode where we ask the guest a key question. Ryan, if you could write your own sequel for 32 short films about Glenn Gould, what would it be? Really, what would it be? Well, we are recording this the day after the Oscar ceremony. So a film that I truly would love to see would be something along the lines of 10 musical interludes about Will Smith. Take a moment (laughs) and ponder that. Wouldn't that be interesting to break down Will Smith's life into like, from his music, like the songs that were at the period of his life or some other motif to, to try to get at Will Smith, who we now know is a um, complicated, multifaceted individual. That's a way to put it, yeah. 
<laughs> I was going to come up with a title, but I think I'll reserve my <laughs> 10 short films about a, but you know, anyway, it's a fun structure, right? Because you can kind of use it to, to, you know, the short film thing. You can use it to, to tell a lot of people's story. Has anybody else done this, Ryan? Do you know, like that kind of, that kind of fractured life? Um, I mean, definitely in like a narrative way. I don't know if as a biopic, I can think of anything offhand, um, but definitely, you know, leaving large gaps in terms of time and moving mm -hmm. forward. Um, you know, that's certainly done, um, certainly more in, in foreign cinema than American. Um, but yeah, yeah, but I definitely can't think of it as, mm -hmm. as a biopic um, setup. So no. not, not that I know of, but, you know, mention it in the comments, anyone listening. <laughs> Would your Will Smith film jump forward in time or back in time or would it be yeah, linear? Yeah, because I, I feel like I don't need to see his whole life story. I just want to <laughs> see like these, you know, I don't need to, to see him growing up wherever he grew up or unless it's, unless it's relevant, you know? I just think like, this is a guy who has some issues now um, and, you know, also a musician, also an artist. Um, so, you know, why limit this kind of experimental structure to just someone coming of the classical world? Um, it's just an interesting way to approach a complicated character. And I, and my take on Glenn Gould before hearing that, you know, from Tom that he may have been sort of putting us on um, was that he was kind of controversial in his eccentricity and, and maybe had mental illness, but maybe didn't certainly sort of had some issues with prescription drugs. And, you know, he was a, he was not a perfect guy, even though he sort of at least 30 years ago went on below the radar as to what other things could have been going on. And so now we have a much more public world and things don't go as much under the radar. So other mu actors, musicians who are experiencing some kind of mental illness seem to do it now on a much more public stage. So, um, so I just think, you know, it's just an interesting way to approach exploring someone's character when we don't really need to know, you know, much more about like, you know, all the different, the big things like KJ was saying, like some of those things really aren't that important. Um, what's more important or, or what makes them an interesting character are some of these um, controversies and, and contradictions. It's time for question three. In the short film, The Crossed Paths, this is the film where you have a number of interviews, not just one, who, is the final interviewee. It ends on someone telling a story. Who is that final person? Can you be more specific? <laughs> no. Um, <laughs> uh, so in the cross paths, there's a, uh, a bunch of people being interviewed, right? That's, it's at the midpoint. I could even tell you which variation it is. Cross paths is 14. So this is after the interview with the violinist, the French violinist, and before the playing of Opus One. There's a collection of interviews, and I'll tell you who it begins with. It begins with the chambermaid, who says, you know, there was a, a, a bunch of um, Jamaican chambermaids who uh, thought he was a, like a, a sexual lunatic, so they were scared of him, but I stuck around. There's a collection of voices there. And it ends with one person. We don't know. I'll give you. I'll give you the gender. It's a him. We don't know his name. I'm locking in. Okay. But who is he? We don't know his name. But who is he? Nick knew this one right away. No, I oh. just remembered someone. 
<laughs> and I'm going with it. Actually, I remember two. Mm-hmm. So I, ha- I had to guess which one. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to lock in with the broad guess. Mm-hmm. It's up there somewhere, KJ. Oh, I know. I'm, I keep picturing the generals from Kundun. <laughs> the baby was already dead, okay? <laughs> <That's>, uh, <laughs> sounds like something Glenn would say. Clocked in. All right, KJ, what's your, what's your guess? Well, before your clue, I, I was going to say the lady that said he didn't call her back that we had mentioned before that didn't call back very often. So mm-hmm. I was locking in with that lady. Okay. Uh, Ryan, what do you have? Yeah, well, I was going to say his sister, but then you said you gave us the clue that was the man. So I'm just going to stay with the same theme and say, like, it was another family member, his cousin, maybe. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, Jackie, is that his cousin? I think that's what his cousin's name was. And then Nick, what do you have? Okay, here's my leap of faith. The piano tuner. You And some people only give him a few days notice, but he would give him two to three months notice, which he really appreciated. And Nick gets it. Well oh! done. He was the piano tuner. All right. So you might wonder why I brought such a specific question. Um, to well, actually, just... to interrupt you, Tom, I was trying to figure out how Glenn knew his piano was going to be out of tune months from here. I think it's just how I think they go out of tune after a certain period of time. Okay, so it, routine he... maintenance. Got yeah. it. Got it. That yeah, makes a lot like more oil sense. Change, than... I was like, right? yeah. yeah, he didn't pop a string. <laughs> yeah. Like how? Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. You think he could have just scheduled them annually? Then you know, like come every three months. No. <laughs> I, I, yeah. Right. The guy should have been upset, not. <laughs> so, um, putting putting that where it where it needs to be. Uh, talking about this scene especially, because I think this scene, uh, what's going on in these interviews, I, I found really interesting because it seemed to jump back and forth. Because before we get the piano tuner whose general thing is, as Nick points out, is yeah, he was a great, he's very considerate. He always gave me three or four months. He always, you know, th- I had this guy call me the other day and he wanted it tomorrow, but Glenn always gave me three to four months. And the stories right before that are, he never thought about anybody else but himself. He would just call up on the phone and didn't care because he wanted to talk and he would talk for hours or he would sing entire operas to people if he wanted to. to That's where know. I almost went, Tom. The guy who fell asleep while he was on mm. the phone with Glenn Gould and his son kicked him to wake him up and Glenn was still talking, not yeah. a, missing a beat. <laughs> yeah, it, yeah, that was, I think, the guy before it. But there was a-, a Close, a, I know. Well, a friend who was like, yeah, he just didn't care if what your normal things were that you needed to do. Um, and I, I liked how this collection of interviews ended on those two notes. It had the, this kind of contradiction in it, which is that, I mean, this is, this is the 14th, so it's close right to the middle of the feature. And I think it's around the 45 minute mark at a what, 93 minute movie. And so I was wondering what people thought of that idea of, of contradiction or, um, or that kind of what we might call a, to use Ryan's word, a kind of contrapuntal feel in, in some of these themes and depictions. So Tom, I didn't see it as a contradiction and now I'm wondering what this says about me. 
I thought it was, yeah, he doesn't care about people, but he cares about the machines he's using. Oh, I like that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it, it, it kind of finished. It was the conclusion to the point, which was he struggled to connect with people as people normally connect with each other, right? He connected differently, <laughs> but he wanted to make sure his piano was still going to work because that connection was incredibly strong. Mm -hmm. The 318, piano 318. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel like the movie consistently um, avoided being negative about him in my, I, like, I just kept waiting for that to, to, especially, I think the biggest one, the expectation I had was that scene with the autograph. And I was just waiting for him to be a dick. And instead he wasn't, he was, you know, gracious and, and but it didn't feel like a put on, you know, he wasn't pretending to be nice to this guy. He just was like, you know, Kurt, and then, you know, asked him the questions that interested him about his life and and no more, no less. And, and so, yeah, I, I felt it was actually pretty generous in, in, um, like I never got, I got even like his sister saying like, you know, he would you know, talk for hours and stuff, but it would never, no one seemed to approach him with any bitterness or, or negativity, which was surprising in, in biopics, you're set up to, to not expect that. Yeah. You, you are often set up to be like the downfall, right? The, the genius, uh, his own ego, blah, blah, blah. And, and none of that's there. Yeah. That's in Ryan's uh, sequel, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Too soon? Yes, this would Language. not happen in the 10 interludes about Will Smith. Oh. <laughs> yeah. This is going to be the opposite of that. Oh, yeah, that's it. That's yeah, I really, um, I, I, I really like KJ's reading. I think that's interesting. And I agree with Ryan. There's no, especially in that scene there, the scene where he signs the autograph, he's, um, you know, another utter gentleman. And what's interesting about that scene is he seems to covet what that old man has, which is, I'm retiring at the end of the season, which ends up being what Ghoul does. <laughs> he, he, you know, he seems to retire like on the spot. Like, yeah, that's that's that sounds good to me. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I like that, KJ. Like th that actually completes that thought, you know, that there ends up being this kind of um, love of machine there, which is also a big thing in that that interviews, right? There's that one interview um, man in the uh, interview man, interviewer in the office with the books who's talking to him about the the machines how you seem to have this kind of love of machines and and media technology but isn't that just a way to put people at a distance um yeah and also yeah sort of the um all that stuff with him the perfectionism stuff makes i couldn't help but think of um uh of the brian the beach boy um oh yeah uh, brian wilson Brian Wilson, but also um, most recently, uh, a, a film you should guys should all watch if you haven't yet is the Kenny G documentary. Um, and Kenny G also controversially, um, I mean, he performs live all the time, but his his recordings are all done in the studio and he just cuts out parts he doesn't think are good and then replaces them with the good parts. So like what's on the recording is not a live recording, which is of course is Glenn Gould's big thing too. Um, so it was just sort of interesting that, um, you know, the, that whole, he was seemed to be one of the first that was embracing that technology and that it was taking away from from what was perceived as like the how classical music should be recorded from what i understand I, another thing i brought uh, i wanted to bring forward and and actually i'd like to hear from ryan because she's i think based upon your word contrapuntal have a, a you know kind of an insight to this is those kind of various contrapuntal textures so, you know, this is not too far away, this scene, the cross paths um, from, or it's, actually it's a little earlier 
when we get those kind of uh, contrapuntal scenes, the two big ones seem to be truck stop where he goes to, to get a, a meal at a, a local truck stop. And then the recording right after that, the idea of North. Um, and I actually think the one of him that they play in its entirety, entirety his CBC um, soundscape, um, because that is like a contrapuntal recording of non-musical of, of a non-musical edit. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I don't know how else to, of media, non-musical media. Um, so that one to me actually seemed like the one that was like the main, like let's play with this idea of, of you know, by, by playing in, in, in its entirety, his, that work, his radio piece. So for those on the show here who knows what contrapuntal is, does, in Hamilton, do they use that? I'm just trying to find something. Right AJ, at... the definition for contrapuntal is polyphonic or of relating to or marked by counterpoint so right. hopefully that clears it up for right. you no so in in hamilton there's there's there, have you seen hamilton ryan uh-huh okay so in hamilton there's a scene well, where, on um, on disney plus yeah um <laughs> where samuel avery comes out and reads the letter and then lynn monwell kind of sings against him at the same time is that contrapuntal is that are those two melodies playing over each other is that yeah. we're trying to find I think, a i think so i'm not an expert but i would think so yeah yeah, so a contrapuntal would be playing of two kind of melodies that- hey, Tom, interrupt you. How about uh, Parsley, Sage, Rosemary, and Time? Simon and Garfunkel. Oh yeah, and they're singing right. against each other. Yeah. Um, that feels almost like variations, like when you like when you sing, like row, row, row your boat, and then when someone gets to boat, the next person starts. Like that one seems a little bit more like they're singing two variations at the same time, but I guess it's kind of the same thing. If it's two or more independent, they so yeah. a lot of lines so they it's have to be the, independent yeah the two lines have to be able to be independent but they're kind of um but they're they're kind of mapped onto each other and yeah row 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 your boat would be a, a type of contrapuntal texture i i suppose it'd be a simple one a canon um yeah and then it uh i don't remember now the simon and garfunkel song but it sounds like what you're describing go ahead for, sing us a, sing us a few bars cage yeah go for it cage well, which part? There's two parts that. I, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well done. <laughs> yeah, but it sounds like that. I mean, any kind, anytime you have um, more than one instrument playing, it's I guess technically counterpoint, right? Um, but it's it's when you have these kind of separate things that could be independent motives or melodic lines that are on top of each other. It's it's counterpoint, and so I, I think what what. Ryan is, is pointing up there, and correct me if I'm wrong, but the idea of North is what you're hearing is the same thing you would do with instruments, but with human voices. Oh, was that the one? Is North the name of that short? That's his Yeah, the, the, it's called The ah, okay. Idea of North. Yeah. Sorry, I was like, no, no, not that one. The other one. They're the <laughs> oh, same one. <laughs> yeah. yeah, the one we're talking about being in the North and it's like very cold and then the other guy comes in yeah. and, and it ends with, and I'm Glenn Gould and this has been yeah um he has multiple ones where he talks about being in the north so <laughs> yeah. Sure which one. yeah but the truck stop i love that one where he goes into the the it starts with the um the downtown the song downtown it's the one non-concert music we get and uh, oh i thought that was going to be a question i guess he wrote some kind of essay about that song he was really into that oh, really? one i didn't know, I don't that. know that yeah oh, i don't what know i'll we'll have to google that oh, <laughs> oh wow that's a, that is a reference i'd missed very good, yeah. Oh, I have to look up his essay. Yeah, um, yeah. But that that truck stop thing, I, I love because that that seems to be like 
he was the great interpreter of these kind of contrapuntal textures in in people like Bach and um, and Beethoven. Uh, and then it seems to be like he's interpreted so much, and now it he interprets it in the real world. He sees it and measures the real world. And since the movie is actually using that form, the movie is using contrapoint counterpoint to interpret Gould. <laughs> so it becomes the you know the the thing interpreted becomes the thing that interprets the person. Um, so I, yeah, I love that sequence, which is like, okay. <laughs> You're getting well, we gotta look at the time. We gotta like, oh. <laughs> so here we are at the final question. Nick is in the lead with three points and Ryan and KJ are right behind. So this really could be anybody's game. I would love for Nick to win. I'm going to throw be, it. Yeah. It only happens at the most surprising times. Like, like, oh, yeah, World on a Wire was another one. <laughs> it was a recent one. But anyway. <laughs> I hope Nick wins too. And I don't think I'll be able to throw it. Like, I don't know. <laughs> it's time for question four. What type of clothing did Glenn introduce to the concert hall. This is mentioned twice in the movie. I know you were talking about it, but I didn't know that was in the film. Let me think. Yeah, I remember them talking about it too, but I I, I don't remember the specific clothing they, they talked about. And as I was thinking about it while watching it, I thought they were talking about the clothing he didn't wear. Not that he wasn't wearing clothing, but when you, when you picture somebody coming out to play the piano, you, you picture certain clothing and he just, it, it wasn't what he was wearing. It what he it was. You can answer in that way too, if you want. Yeah. Mm -hmm. All right, locked in. I'm locked in. I'm gonna lock in with the backhanded answer. This is a broad interpretation of what KJ could be saying here. I need a moment. There's a lot on the line here. Okay, I'm gonna lock in. All right, Nick. What do you have? He did not wear a sport jacket or suit, like tux. Okay, Ryan, what do you have? I don't know the answer, so I'm gonna show off a tidbit that Eli told me, which is that he sat really low at the piano and like reached up, which is like part of his style was from that. So I'm gonna say something with shoes because he was sitting lower than everybody else, so. KJ, what do you have? I, I wrote down a coattail suit because, again, I don't remember what they were talking about, but when I picture a, a concert pianist coming out, there's the, the flair with the coattail suit as he sits down, and I thought maybe Glenn didn't do that, and they were like, man, how can you play the piano without the, of the coattail? Okay. Um, I'm going to give KJ the points here. I would have given Nick the points, but Nick said he didn't wear a suit, which is not exactly right. Sport jacket? He wore a sports jacket. I said. Yeah. He didn't oh, he did wear, a, wear a sports jacket. He did not wear the coattails. Yeah, he didn't wear a tuxedo. And he very But KJ didn't say tuxedo. KJ said suit. There's a difference between a tuxedo well, a and tuxedo. a suit. He, the visual he did not use the word the tuxedo. <laughs> you did once. Use, he did say the tails. I was gonna give him credit for that. That he did say tails, but he did not say yeah. tails. 
a suit would not have those tails. A tuxedo would have those tails. Yes. But anyway. Well, okay. I'll leave it up to the. Uh, I'll leave no, it up no, 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 no. We'll go. To, we'll I go mean, to bonus. Let's like, go to bonus. Let's like go to bonus. 50s, maybe all suits had tails. No, it was actually a, a pretty distinct thing. He, he his refusal to wear a tuxedo, um, which is mentioned twice. It's mentioned in one of the interviews in uh, Cross Paths, and it's also mentioned in Gould, Gould interviews Gould, where he refers to the tuxedoed fallacy. KJ is, was the closest. He said the yeah. tails. So I'm gonna I'm gonna give it to I'm KJ. I'm happy to give it to KJ. Yeah, in terms of him being Thanks, guys. Yeah, but we do have a tie. Still was a tux. <laughs> And Ryan is free to join in the tie because it's worth two points. So you could tie and, and continue <laughs> can continue everybody's favorite movie. Um, we usually go three points for the bonus question. Um, how about that? Yeah, let's go three points for the bonus yeah, question. Yeah, because gives her, yeah. Slam dunk it in the end. And LeBron James it in, the, <laughs> in, this final, uh, in this final round. It's time for a bonus question. How many adequate pianos were there? Locked in. Locked in. Locked in. All right, Kedra, what do you have? Zero. All right, Ryan, what do you have? I remember the scene, and I feel like that's the only possible answer, none. Uh, I think Nick knows it. Nick, what do you have? One. Oh, Nick doesn't know it. Okay. It was three. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, Price is right, Price is right, no, no? Oh, Price no, is no. right. <laughs> um, no, let's just take a tiebreaker. That's a lot more fun. Fair, uh, fair, fair. And then we have a whole lot of things to talk about after this. Okay, let's go for a second tiebreaker. It's time for a bonus question. This is a question for Nick. <laughs> <laughs> I I didn't uh, realize it when I wrote it, but it, it is. No pressure. In no this 97-minute movie. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. In the third four-and-a-half-minute short, mm-hmm. at one minute marker. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Actually, no, no. We're going to switch it so we don't... Put- um, <laughs> the question's the question. <laughs> no, I have a bunch of bonus questions. We can go all night. Um, for what arrangement did Glenn Gould write his first opus? Can I get, um, like if this was a math problem, maybe like the units and like a ballpark, like what, what is a good answer to a question that starts with what arrangement? Oh, um, <laughs> what, for what instrument? Okay, mm-hmm. thank you. Wait, repeat the whole in, question again. Yeah, um, what, what instrument or instruments did Gould write his first opus. Locked in. And this is variation, uh, or, or I'm sorry, short film 13. I already locked. Mm-hmm. This is the last time I'm watching the movie a week in advance. Just FYI, feel like I'm operating at a disadvantage here. It was a whole full week ago. I guess I'll lock in. All right, Ryan, what do you have? I mean, I was going to say like harpsichord, but that seems too old fashioned. So I'm just going to go with piano forte. So it's not piano, it's some variation of a piano. All right, Nick, what do you have? Oh, KJ locked in first. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, you're right. Uh, KJ, what do you have? So, so Tommy mentioned it was number 14, I think. Hey, are uh, you reading notes? Number one. Yeah, I have my notes. 13. You can't read notes. 13. Close book. I want to read his notes then. Can I read his notes? Yeah, they're all there. It's a good luck. Yeah, I I mean, it's in the question. What is Opus 1? It's not, (laughs) I'm not hiding. (laughs) 
Um, but so what I, what my audience for my notes, I, every uh, short film, I wrote the number and then like uh, my synopsis of it. And I only got the 31. So I either miscounted or the credits yeah. counted. I, I, I'm not sure. So looking at my notes, it's pretty close to the one with the violins. So I'm going to go with the violins. All right. And Nick, what do you have? Okay. I didn't look at KJ's notes and it was three violins and a cello. Uh, I'm going to give it to both. I mean, oh! KJ, I'll give it to KJ and Nick. That's so specific. <laughs> but it's all. It's two violins, a viola, and a cello. It's a oh, come <laughs> Well, you can't say I'm Wait, more right than I argue that he's more wrong than I am. Then. Well, I mean, you can't say I'm <laughs> hanging my hat on the specificity and then get the specifics wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not a musician, okay? Well, I was pretty happy with then cello strings. I, you know, <laughs> fair enough. Okay, this, a so viola looks like like a violin to someone who doesn't know that a viola exists. Okay. You're getting you're getting the points, which means you get the episode, don't you? No, no, no it's still tied. Still tied. tied. Still. Oh, we're not going to be able to talk about the movie. Okay, um, that's fine. I got to win this damn thing. Yeah, so let's go for the viola mini violin. violin. Can we make uh, this one worth six points? Yeah, sure. We'll make it worth six points. All right. All right, and uh, I guess I we'll do. Out. That was as specific as I could get. We'll do Nick's question. The question that oh. that it privileges Nick. <laughs> it does, um, pressure. Too much pressure. It's time for a bonus question. What is the stock that Gould bought? Oh, locked in. <laughs> the, I'm sorry. The what? What is the what? The stock. That was my favorite of the all the movies. I was waiting for us to be able to talk about this, Nick. I that was, was like, my I can't favorite. Didn't come up yet. <laughs> that was my favorite of all the scenes. You know what's funny though is that this is what like Eli came in at one of these parts, and he's like, "Oh, this is just when he's talking about this part." And so like this is like the one scene that I didn't pay a ton of attention to because Eli sort of dismissed it as like, "Let me generally wrap this scene up to you in one line." And so I don't <laughs> actually even know, but I know exactly the scene. <laughs> Locked in. Do you want I'll the be, name or the symbol? Name or the symbol? You could do either. I'm okay. free. So, uh, I, Ryan, what do you have? Oh, it's some kind of oil stock. I don't know which one. Okay. Uh, KJ, what do you have? So, I don't know exactly, but I really like the font on the paper of the shot that they did. And I want to say Solex, which doesn't sound like an oil company. It, you know, it sounds like a solar company, but I'm going to go Solex. Okay. And Nick, what do you have? The symbol, because you said I could say name or symbol, was STX. I believe it was SOTOX, but STX is my answer. Yeah, so close, KJ. It's SOTEX, S-O-T. Okay. Yeah. Oh, so Nick wins it on a stock question. Well done. You've been waiting over that one. I was going to say, Nick, how could you dislike this movie with a guy who was so into trading stocks? That was my favorite scene of the whole film because he was like whispering and spreading rumors about this stock to have it skyrocket while everything else plummeted <laughs> oh right um, yeah, you're right Tom that wasn't a question that wasn't a question <laughs> yeah the other one what was his piano but um I think everybody knew that oh I said it earlier THX11 well especially like after you said he voice. only cared about machines and not people and then you called it 318 i'm like that sounds very robotic <laughs> it's time for 
movie rant. So Ryan, as a person whose partner is is classically trained and uh, knows all of this, all of this stuff. Uh, what was kind of I was I'm wondering what are you, if you have anything that you want to say, but if not anything in specific, I'm wondering what your guys' experience was kind of watching this, watching this with somebody kind of with this classical experience and so forth. Yeah, I mean, it was just such a big part of of his life as a musician. This movie, there's just not that many movies about musicians, especially he's not a pianist, but even pianists specifically, there's not very many movies about Shine, I guess, being the exception. Um, so maybe there's more about pianists than other ones. <laughs> but um, but yeah, so you know, his his I think it was just that that them coming from classical music school they can take what they they have to take what they can get <laughs> but then certainly it was nice to have someone to sort of explain to me what the difference what you can listen for in, in a Bach composition versus listening for in a Beethoven composition um I mean some of the other interesting factors was that that you know these none of these songs were composed for piano so they've all been kind of arranged it's not as the composer intended them um which is sort of just an interesting aspect about i guess all of these musicians but maybe glenn gould's uh, in general since he's so known for these interpretations of the goldberg variations um and but like so much of this music is all every single performance is an interpretation of some kind because none of it that these instruments didn't exist when they were composed so um that's just like a, you know another aspect of the, when you were talking about like think about three layers of this film you know that's just seems like another third layer that's that's beneath it all which is just like that the history of of music which is kind of interesting yeah, and the, and the history of interpretation is there. Right, you know, yes. He's a great interpreter, and the movie has this kind of meta structure, a meta commentary that it's in, interpreting him in the same way. Exactly, uh, yeah. Yeah, that's a great point, that what we're hearing in, in at least with the, the Bach, is not what he would have heard, not what Bach intended. Um, yeah. The other thing was that um, uh, Glenn Gould's it, he, even when he was playing the music as as quote unquote written that you know wasn't anything that he had arranged he brought out sort of like what I would consider like the left hand or the bass line um, in a in a way that other people playing the exact same notes didn't and so um, it just made it a style that you know even the the um, everyday music appreciator could could spot his style and say like, I know this guy, I know his work. And, um, and so, you know, that idea of the way that he played the instrument was just different than everybody else. Um, and so that also kind of came across in just his, his quirks and eccentricities. That, yeah, that is cool. He has, there's one recording of the Beethoven's Moonlight Sonata that he plays as a march. <laughs> That's really kind of wild. Right, right. Yeah, there, there, there's kind of, um, and is it the, what's the second one, the second year that he recorded the Goldbergs? Was it, it was much later. He was an adult. I, I feel like, I mean, what he died in like 87 or something? 80... He died in 84. Okay. I mean, I think it was only a couple of years before he died, mm -hmm. but I'd have to Google it again. Yeah. Um, but it was, it was like, and they're really different. Mm -hmm. Um but yeah, so it was a long time between the two. It's, and it's another thing too, is I think there's only one um, aspect of the Goldberg variations in the movie. Do I have that correct? I think it's just the aria uh, of all of them that's, that's in the movie. Um, what is oh, the one where two. he stops to play from the phone booth? Um, what is that piece that he that he called? Oh, it's, it's from the French. That's from Bach's first. Oh, it's the French More suite. Bach, but it's the French suite. It's the Sarabande yeah. from the first French suite. Right. But there, there is um, one of the uh, 
yeah, Variation 19 is, is also in it. So there's two, there's two, there's the Aria and, and Variation 19. Another thing I'd ask you guys, uh, any scene, any one film in particular jump out at you? Any favorites amongst them? I did enjoy that whole stockbroker thing. <laughs> I also think it's always funny when you see this old school depiction of like what stockbrokers used to be. <laughs> Just sitting around smoking all day, <laughs> taking in orders, which is not what the world is anymore, but it, it's really funny to see that stereotype. <laughs> How about you, Kedra? Do you have any? Yeah, I like the. It was early on. Um, he was being interviewed by a guy, and Glenn was kind of telling him, "You're doing this all wrong. Like, pick something else besides the music, and then my answers will be interesting and it'll relate back to music." That, that was, was Glenn interviewing himself. himself. <laughs> yeah, sorry, it was him. Oh. Yeah, and himself. Yeah. <laughs> that was which was actually, which is actually a thing. That's an excerpt from some yeah. from the thing he did. Yeah. Oh, he interviewed himself. Mm-hmm. yeah like they'd oh. go back and forth he'd be in like kind of the shadows and then yeah. talking to him but it was he was both of the people it was, it was oh then that's why it was called glenn glenn <laughs> yeah glenn, probably right, glenn, gary glenn <laughs> yeah um well so what, what i liked about that scene even though i seem to have missed the point um gold meets is, gold is what yeah. gold meets gold um so i had my headphones on and in stereo, it was pretty cool because as the camera was moving or as people were moving, they were playing with the microphone so that it was coming out of the out of different ears. And and I, I really enjoy when uh, people use the movie to um, do something different that can only be done in movies. Sometimes it can get obnoxious, but I really like the way it worked in that in that scene. So Ryan, did you have a, a favorite short? Yeah, I mean, we've talked so much about the music that, you know, we could keep talking a lot just about the filmmaking style, but I really liked, you know, just the motif of him outside and and even when the audio was clearly, you know, synced with, you know, audio that had been recorded from something else that now the the actor was reciting in a completely different setting that, of course, is not where it was originally recorded. Like, you know, that's just like something cool you can do with cinema. Um, and, and, you know, I liked him talking about going that that segment where he talks about wanting to go up north and and spend a whole winter up in in the darkness and um you know so i i i just i liked visually how they just took that out of its original context and put it someplace different which um is you know it was just embracing what what this film could embrace was that experimental filmmaking style mm-hmm. yeah and it got at the, the theme right that kind of the isolated from the interviewer yeah. yes yeah I looked at the the director. I don't. Um, I was going to say he's not really a household name, but he is an Academy Award winner. This next film was The Red Violin, violin so yeah. um, he is indeed a household name to people of that era. Well, see, I <laughs> yeah. thought it was Red Viola, but no, no, no. They it's, <laughs> Viola's tend not to be worth what God. What is that? Six million dollars. I actually saw the Red Violin in concert once. It's not exactly the same violin, but it's what's called the Red Violin. <laughs> How did it sound? Um, I, I I don't have the ear to, you know, to to appreciate it as as well as I could, but it, it you know, it was a lovely concert. I'd say that um, it was actually at Lake Luzerne of all places. And Tom, how about you? What was your favorite of the of the thirty two short films? I don't know if it's my favorite. The one that has been, I, I guess, I could sort. I've been scratching has been uh, Diary of One Day, which is eighteen, which is the. Um, it it follows a Schoenberg piece, a, a jig from from Schoenberg, and it's the uh, recording of the uh, diastolic and systolic heart pressure 
next to the x-ray of him playing the piano. If anybody remembers that, it's the x-rays he's playing and there's just the heart rate that keeps appearing. Um, what's interesting about that is the, the piece of music, I don't know, does any, if anybody knows Arnold Schoenberg, the modernist composer, uh, and, and he's the one, Gould actually mentions him in the movie. He says, Schoenberg's speaking to me. He had all these number fears, right? About 13. Um, well, that's that. Yeah, the guy who thought he was going to die. Yeah. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that was Arnold Schoenberg. And that's who you're hearing in that movie. That's whose piece it is. And it sounds like chaos. Schoenberg was what's called a, a serialist, which meant he wrote ch like serial or series of notes um, that were sort of randomly selected, but then very, very precisely put together through through the the piece of music. However, since they're initially randomly selected, it seems like chaos, even though, in fact, it's actually probably the most carefully ordered music there is or, or, or amongst it. Um, and what I liked, what I, I found maybe difficult or interesting about the scene is the fact that there's this sense of disorder um, in what is actually a very ordered system. You know, there's this kind of, these heart rates, because Gould keeps taking his heart. We saw him in that, in that earlier scene where he's measuring his heart rate. And there's this, this kind of mix and tension between what seems like chaos and might actually be chaos, but is also very measured and very specific and very kind of tediously worried over, uh, which also seems like Gould, and it also seems like the the music as well, which I mean, box music is incredibly like clockwork. You know, the, the Goldbergs or any of his music is, is like that. Um, and then you get to Schoenberg and, you know, uh, Gould is a great interpreter, not only of Bach, but also of, of Schoenberg. And it, it's the same kind of complexity and intricacy. But when you hear it, there's a sort of sense of madness there. And I think that that ended up being a kind of a, a great metaphor for the movie. Well, that's kind of how my heart felt during every single one of those bonus questions. There was a lot on the line and I always find it awkward to congratulate myself, but I think KJ might've taken a dive there because I just noticed so Texas in his notes. So I, I don't feel as bad between that and the viola. I, I think I'm going to be okay with the, my self-congratulations. During the movie rant, I also noticed it was in my notes. And the way <laughs> I have my windows arranged is there's some on top of the others. And the Sotex was covered. But I, I was almost going to, uh, you know, stop the show and say, guys, all three of us could have got it. <laughs> it <was in> <laughs> I just went and saw those notes now and was like, seriously? <laughs> you can find more of our content wherever you listen to podcasts on our YouTube channel, Twitter at Talking Studios, and our website, TalkingPicturesTrivia.com. We're extremely grateful to all those who subscribe, like, follow, and leave a review. How many short films would it take to describe your life? Let us know on Twitter, TalkingPicturesTrivia at gmail.com, or give us a call at 201 Four six seven eight six seven nine. Thanks again, Ryan, for joining us today. Thank you for having me. I think specifically you added a lot of value in understanding Tom's language and the language of this film. <laughs> I think I just regurgitated the five things I learned in the last week since watching this movie, but thanks. <laughs> you, you sold it. You sold it. Are you working on any projects now, Ryan? 
Yes, I'm working on a great documentary coming to your local PBS station called Big Sonia. So check your local listings. It's we'll be playing on a screen near you sometime at the end of April. Awesome. And you can find me on Twitter at ThomasLayman15. And I'm working on a B-side right now. So that will be out sometime in the next year. 32 long B-sides by Tom Lehman is the... Uh... You can find me on Twitter at KJ1000. I can also be found on Twitter at The Nicknamed. Join us next time for Talking Trivia Trivia, where we take a break from looking at just one movie and do actual movie trivia from a variety of films. Stay tuned for a sample trivia question. Ding, 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 ding. The second round of questions will be related to the movie Moana. Maui was able to pull up the sky, steal fire from down below, lasso the sun, and harness the breeze. What does he say to this? Chris. You're welcome. Correct. Oh, I was going to say that. Points on the board. What does he say to this? Like, that's a weird way to ask that question. You're welcome. At least you didn't ask me to sing it. (laughs) <laughs> and no I one literally will. just referenced how <laughs> I enjoyed that song too I like to go into the movies kind of blind I actually don't like to have background and that this may be not the best example of a film in which you can do that <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I didn't even know at first if he was a fictional character okay <laughs> 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 <laughs>